Freakonomics by Stephen Levitt and Stephen Dubner. One sentence summary. Freakonomics helps you make better decisions by showing you how your life is dominated by incentives, how to close information asymmetries between you and the experts that exploit you, and how to really tell the difference between causation and correlation. My favorite quote from the authors is, Morality, it could be argued, represents the way that people would like the world to work, whereas economics represents how it actually does work. By Stephen Dubner and Stephen Levitt. It never fails to baffle me how cheap learning has become. Get this, for $3.99 you could watch a 90-minute movie that details some of the best economic research of the 21st century with great animations, scenes and explanations. Ridiculous! There are three main themes in the book. One is incentives, the issue of how we react to rewards and punishments. Another is information asymmetry and which consequences arise from various gaps of knowledge and how we try to compensate for those. And the last thing is causation versus correlation and how often we try to explain things the wrong way. I decided to pick one lesson from each sector so you'll get a good idea of what the book's overall message is. Here are three lessons to help you make better decisions. 1. Three kinds of incentives dominate your life. 2. Experts are often incentivized to exploit the fact that they know more than you. 3. Just because two things happen simultaneously doesn't mean that one causes the other. Ready to adjust your choice barometer? Time for some Freakonomics. Freakonomics Lesson 1. There are three kinds of incentives that dominate your life's choices. This answers the question, what guides our decisions, what mechanisms behind them? Incentives have been dangled in front of your nose all of your life. From if you finish your plate, you'll get some pudding as a child, to if you sell 100 cars this quarter, you'll get a 25% bonus, all the way to if you don't stop harassing the cleaning lady, we'll put you in a home, grandpa. An incentive is meant to get you to do more of a good thing or less of a bad thing, and is used by anyone who tries to influence your behavior. Stephen Dubner and Stephen Levitt say there are three kinds of incentives. 1. Economic incentives. Usually involve gain or loss of time and money. 2. Social incentives. When chances are you'll look good in front of your peers or be isolated from them. And 3. Moral incentives. Appealing to your conscience and inner drive to do the right thing. The more types of incentives are combined, the more powerful the incentive gets. For example, the disincentive a negative incentive, so the stick from the stick and the carrot approach, uh, the disincentive to commit a crime is pretty strong. You could lose your job, house and personal freedom, which is economic. It is one of the most morally reprehensible things you can do, which is a moral incentive. And of course, you would lose your friends and your reputation would go down the drain, which is a social disincentive. Freakonomics Lesson 2 Experts are often incentivized to abuse that they know more than you do. This answers the question, what are some economic consequences of information asymmetry? In any transactions between, transaction between humans, incentives are the driving force at play. So the moment you figure out what makes the person across the table act the way they do and know the same for yourself, you can make better decisions. Sadly, lots of systems incentivize us to cheat. Information asymmetry is one of these. We all need the help of an expert sometimes. 
When your knee hurts, you go to a specialist doctor. Your hair is cut by a professional and when you want to sell your house, you call a real estate agent. For that last example, the system in place is a strong economic incentive. The agent gets a commission of the final sale price and should therefore try to maximize the selling price just as much as you, right? Well, some simple math reveals that it's often better for the agent to abuse that she knows more than you and get you to sell quickly. If your agent can get you an offer for $100,000 within two weeks and she gets a 10% commission, then that's $10,000 she makes in two weeks. Knowing it takes her another two weeks to get an offer for $120,000 results in just $2,000 more for her, or a 20% increase in income, at a 100% increase in time spent, bringing her total down to just $6,000 for two weeks. Using the information she has that you don't, she can get you to sell quicker and cheaper, so she can make more money. Studies have shown that when agents sell their own houses, they usually leave them up for sale a lot longer and also get higher prices. Freakonomics Lesson 3 Just because two things happen simultaneously doesn't mean that one causes the other. This answers the question, what's the difference between causation and correlation? When something like the above example happens, we usually think we're smart and can put two and two together quickly. But more often than not, two and two ends up making five, because we've confused causation with correlation. For example, if, if on the 31st of the month, a car dealer offers you a great deal on a car, you'd probably suspect that he only does so so he can sell one more car, meet his quota and get a fat bonus, no matter how crappy the car is, right? But you can't possibly know what makes him offer you this deal, just because the deal correlates with the last day of the month. Maybe he's made a commitment to himself to improve his selling skills and double his sales that month, and this is the last car he needs. Maybe he's made a promise to his wife to sell enough cars to be able to afford daycare for his newborn son. Or maybe he's just happy that his boss gave him some wiggle room with prices because they want to increase customer satisfaction and loyalty. A very popular example of this is money's influence on election outcomes. We all think whoever spends the most gets the most votes. But actually, successful candidates could cut their budget in half and lose only 1% of voters. And vice versa, losing candidates could double their budget and only get 1% more votes. In reality, voters simply want to influence a close match or back a clear favorite. Even though money is correlated with election outcomes, it's not the cause of it. My personal takeaways from Freakonomics for 2017. This book is huge. It's a lot to digest. I think I watched the movie first and I would recommend you do the same because it makes everything a little more digestible. It also highlights only a few of the experiments and research areas they've dealt with in the book so it's less and again a, li a bit lighter to digest because of the animations and explanations that they make but this is a really really good book there's a follow-up to it which i haven't read which is called super freakonomics they've also published another i think one or two books i don't recall the names right now, but Stephen Dubner and uh, Stephen Levitt working together works really, really well. I think, I'm not sure who is who, because one of them is a an economist, and the other was like 
man, you really need to write a book. And then they got together, the you know, as a journalist, and they got together so that they would combine um, their powers to make this book really succeed. And it has. It's completely flown through the roof. There's a podcast, they have a blog and everything. It's it's a huge movement. <clears throat> so um, let me see how I can... I had some, some notes about here and there, which I wanted to add, which I thought was valuable. Um, uh, first of all, incentives. Just knowing that these things, that that's what's going on is very powerful. You can look at the people in your life, like your friends, your family, your roommates, and try to gauge which incentive drives their behavior or their want right now um so uh for example uh, i'm trying to trying to think of one right now um so for example like my cousin right my cousin she's really big on clothes and makeup right now and she wants uh, to she bought a lipstick once i think for 20 bucks it was a huge deal it was super expensive and she didn't tell my aunt at first and so on she really wanted that lipstick because it's cool, right? It's high quality and so on. Uh, it's a high quality one. Yeah, you get that. It's important. Yeah, I, it's important. It's um, it's probably better and it'll probably last longer than another cheaper lipstick would. Yes. But does a, let me quickly guess, 16-year-old need a $20 lipstick? No, probably not. The incentive there was social, right? She'll look good. She can post it on her Instagram and she can look cool in front of her friends because she has that expensive $20 model lipstick. So that was a social incentive, right? And so just looking around and, and pinpointing what's the incentive here will make it easier for you to realize when it's happening to you, right? So what incentives drive your own behavior uh, in certain instances. <clears throat> Now, the expert and asymmetry part is really interesting because just yesterday, I'm taking Economics 3 right now as a class, and just yesterday, uh, I learned about that topic. We're looking at insurance markets, and yesterday, uh, a professor ex our professor explains when, explained when I watched the lecture that information asymmetries on insurance markets uh, cause a certain phenomenon. So, if you've ever wondered why doesn't an insurance company offer a pooled contract, right? So, it's a one-size-fits-all contract where everybody just pays the same uh, fee every month and then they're insured, right? They have health insurance. Why don't they offer this pooled contract? And the reason for that is, he explained, people have obviously different risk levels, right? They have different genetic dispositions towards certain illnesses and diseases. So, some people are more likely to develop certain diseases than others. And the problem is that there's an information asymmetry in the market because the insurance company doesn't know who's who. The insurance company might know that on average, two out of a thousand people get cancer or something like that. Um, so for, for their country, maybe. They might know that, but they don't know who's who in when they when the people come and get their insurance contracts right so uh, the problem with that is if they offered a pooled insurance the people who somewhere in the middle right between what's ideal for very low risk people and what's ideal for high risk people if they offered something somewhere in the middle as one contract for everybody then the people with low uh, with low risk they would overpay and the people with high risk they would underpay <clears throat> Now, this would at some point cause them to offer a deal that is better to 
because they have to keep the low risk people something that's better for low risk people and then all the low risk people would go to the new contract but all but the incentive would be uh, the problem would be the other one wouldn't last because after all they can't offer the in the middle uh, thing if there are no low risk people in there and if all they have is high risk people in that in that pooled contract then that falls apart too and so on and this sort of cycle would repeat and repeat where the people with low risk who are healthy get the cheaper insurance contract uh, and then the other one whichever other one is left for the high risk people with health problems uh, would fall apart because it's um, too expensive um, and so that would happen cycle cycle again and again and again so that's uh, until you're left with nothing but a solution where there's a contract for high-risk people and there's a contract for low-risk people. And then the trick is obviously to get people to get into the contract that suits them, right? <clears throat> and that's just assuming an information asymmetry, which already makes it really complicated, uh, on the side of consumer versus um, supplier. So where the insurance company doesn't know what's up with the individuals. But it, in reality... The individuals don't even know themselves, right? Not everyone has taken a genetics test and knows their risk for lung cancer or whatever. So obviously we have a better idea of our health dispositions than insurance companies, but still not a perfect one. So you can see how information asymmetry causes all kinds of problems and all kinds of opportunities for people to exploit those, especially when they're experts. And uh, what orig who originally uh, investigated this phenomenon, uh, there's a paper called uh, on, it's about lemons. So the cars, a bad car is called um, the market for lemons, quality, uncertainty and the market mechanism. It's a 1970 paper by the economist George Akerlof. And this explains um, how information asymmetry uh, affects markets and sometimes destroys markets. And uh, he looks at used cars. And a bad used car is called a lemon. And that's where that comes from. So the market for lemons, if you're interested in learning more about information asymmetry and how it destroys or makes markets, then uh, I would highly recommend you look at that. <clears throat> and lastly, causation versus correlation. Uh, I think at the very least, what you should do when you're wondering, like, or you're making a conclusion like, ah, oh, yeah, this looks like that x causes y uh, that's the problem here like my dentist offered me a dental cleanse because he wants to make more money and that's his only incentive because dental cleanses are really expensive and nobody really needs them right so that's like x causes y obvious uh, obvious causation the very least you can do always to test that and to probe that is to switch it around and try to think is it possible that uh, X that not only X causes Y, but that Y also causes X. So uh, instead of my dentist offers me this dental cleanse uh, because it makes money, uh, or of course because it's expensive and it makes money, um, maybe it's also that the dental cleanse is expensive and makes money because your dentist offers it to a lot of his patients. And if you say, hmm, yeah, the thing makes money because he offers it to all patients, then that doesn't mean he offered it specifically to me because it's expensive, right? And so you start thinking at the very least. 
Because often, uh, same with like getting out of your comfort zone, like you think, oh yeah, I have to get out of my comfort zone to become more confident, right? But at the same time, you can become more confident and that makes it more likely you get out of your comfort zone. So try to put causation into a loop and then you will see, hmm, yeah, is this really a causation or is this just correlated? So that's a good, a good exercise, pardon me. So I hope this will help you. I hope whatever this book summary just did is spark some ideas and you will explore more of it. You can check it out. Just Google Freakonomics and explore a whole new world, which will make you a rational person and a better decision maker. Hope you enjoyed. See you on the next one.